Well, good evening. We're thankful for your presence this evening and the crowd that's gathered here. We have a, a couple of visitors in our midst, and we're thankful that you have come our way and look forward to a few moments of study together this evening. There's even rumor that there's a couple in the audience that looks like the Corbins. Well, I don't know for sure. Uh, we're thankful that they have made a safe trip. And Jerry asked me about the laundry again tonight, and if we were talking about folding laundry tonight, so I don't know what's up with that. Uh, I'm just tired of being harassed about it. So, Dick, I said the other night that I was folding the laundry, and you would have thought, I don't know what happened. I mean, I, I'm, it's been all downhill since then. So, uh, anyways, we are thankful that you are here. We look forward to our time of fellowship together. Uh, we can joke around here, and we appreciate that. Uh, we give each other a hard time. I will worry when everybody stops giving me a hard time, then that maybe. Uh, but we are thankful for the good fellowship and the time that we can spend together. And even as we spend time in seriousness and in study, uh, we can have a good time and enjoy that. So we appreciate you being here tonight. We're going to continue what has become a monthly study for us of a different book of the Bible. I've mentioned to you before that I, I find several sources for this. Uh, Brother Chad Dollahite that uh, preaches down at the Bremen Congregation is the where I kind of heard about it, and no doubt it's not original with him. Many preachers over the years have tried to take time to kind of sum up a book of the Bible. Uh, another thing that I use that I've offered to you, you can find it online, is uh, something called Bible Basic Bullets. Uh, it's put together by Caleb Colley and his wife, Rebecca. Uh, they work now down in the Florida area, uh, but sort of a, a two-page summary of, the book of, of a book of the Bible. And a lot of times we look at something like that and we think, well, that's almost impossible. It'd be hard to do, but it can be beneficial to us. We're reminded, of course, often of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we, through uh, patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. There's confusion sometimes. People get sort of uh, misguided or they, they get confused when we talk about the Old Testament. Well, do you believe it? Do you not believe it? Do you live by it? Do you not live by it? Why do you talk about the Old Testament? And, of course, some people will go to the Old Testament to try to pr uh, bring out verses that they will then use to justify some belief or practice that they have today. And so it's a little confusing at times. Certainly we understand that we do not live by the old law, but there are things there that are written for our learning that will give us patience and comfort. Um, certainly when it comes to the Old Testament, oftentimes uh, I would say there's two things. One is we, we learn about the, the nature of God, who God is, and we learn things about him. He may not interact with us in the same way that he interacted with Moses or with Abraham, but we can learn something about who he is, his justice, his mercy, his love. But secondly, we gain so much from looking at what we would call character studies, just to simply look at Moses or David or Abraham or whoever, and we learn a little bit about mankind. And so it can be beneficial for us. Tonight we're going to take a look at the book of 1 Samuel. Now what's interesting is we take a look at this book and begin to think about its contents. 1 and 2 Samuel were originally one book. When you go back to what we would you know, consider there as they had it originally, it would have been one book. So that kind of uh, plays into what we're looking at tonight. So the question then is, well, why was it split? Well, simply the answer is length, the length of that. Now, you can imagine they didn't have it either in this form, excuse me, or certainly in this form where it's not so long, but picture, if you will, having a scroll and having to unroll that scroll and look at it and having to unroll a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. It would have been beneficial for them to simply break it up into two books and have a first Samuel and a second Samuel. We're going to come back to the author here in a few moments. 
But that's it. Uh, that would have simply been a reason to break it up in order to allow it to be uh, able to, you know, even be held a little bit easier, unrolled to be read, certainly. When we think about the book of 1 Samuel, there are really three broad categories that we're going to break, up, break the book up into as far as contents. The first is chapters 1 through 7, which is the birth of Samuel over to the king's or excuse me, the people's demands for a king. Now what's interesting here is if you look at uh, Old Testament history, there are many different ways you can break down the Old Testament, many different periods, if you will. If you look at what some would call Hebrew history, Hebrew history one, many people will take that from the beginning there, from the, the beginning of the nation of Israel up to either, as we looked at last month, the book of Ruth, because that's a pretty clean-cut break as far as our Bibles, our English Bibles. But some people will take Hebrew history 1 and run it up to the end of chapter 7, where the people demand a king. Either way, we're going to come back and talk about some of the things that are included in the first seven chapters. But we go from the birth of Samuel in chapter 1 all the way up to the people's demands for a king. The second section in the book of 1 Samuel is chapters 8 through 15, which discusses Saul's early reign and his eventual rejection as king by God. His rejection uh, by God. And so uh, we think about some of the main characters here. We're going to talk about that in just a moment with another slide. But we go from Samuel to Saul. In the third place, or the third grouping, if you will, going up to the end of this book, as it is broken for us there at chapter 31, we begin to look at the latter reign of Saul and the rise of David. Now, David's anointing takes place here in 1 Samuel. Samuel. He's not yet king, but God has made known his choice. He's told the people, you had your choice, and now I'm going to have my choice. And David is going to be anointed here, but he is not yet going to become king. So that's a very broad overview of three sections of the book. Let's talk about the purpose for just a moment. This is largely a biography of three key people, and we've already mentioned their names. But Samuel, Samuel serves as the last judge. When we think about looking at, uh, we've talked about Joshua, Judges, and Ruth here in the last few months. Uh, Samuel is going to serve as the last judge. Then we move on to Saul. Saul is going to become the first king, the first earthly king, of course. I don't feel the need necessarily to say that God is their first king, but, but their first earthly king is going to be Saul. And then as we said just a moment ago, David is going to become king-elect, if you will, with his anointing. Second uh, Samuel begins the reign of David, but right now he is simply the king-elect. In fact, if you were to sort of take these as uh, two books together, as we said just a moment ago, David is probably the key character. He may not be the key character in 1 Samuel, but if you take a look at the book of Samuel together, David is probably the one who is the key character for both books. It is a book of transitions. If you've got your outline there in front of you or the, the bulletin and you're following along with the notes, this is the first one. It is a book of transitions. Uh, it, we see the children of Israel go from a theocracy, which is a priest rule, a rule of priests, to the monarchy. Another way we might say that is we go from the judges to the kings here. And that's going to be important as we take a look at some of the verses where the people discuss that in just a moment. But another one of the transitions or sets of transitions is Eli to Samuel, Samuel to Saul, and Saul to David. 
Saul to David is not going to be fully done, like we said just a moment ago. It's not going to be finished here before it is broken up for us. Um, but we're going to begin to see this. It is a book of, of sort of fast moving, if you will. It's 31 chapters. It would take us a while to read it. But when we think about the children of Israel, there's a lot happening here and a lot of transitions, especially as they are going to be ruled by these different people. When we think about a theme, a theme for the book might be faithful leadership versus failed leadership. Now let's talk about this for just a moment and let's actually begin with the failed side. If you've got your Bibles there, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 13. 1 Samuel 3 and verse number 13 is where we read about a little bit about the failed leadership of Eli. We see that because verse number 13 says, uh, as we see, there is a, a pronouncement, if you will. Uh, Samuel is having this first prophecy, and there's a pronouncement upon the house of Eli. And it's in verse 13 that the Lord says to Samuel, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. He had his hands full there, it sounds like, with a couple of tough boys. Uh, Samuel has some problems with some unfaithful children as well. Although we sometimes give Samuel a little bit of a knock, if you will, because his children and his sons end up unfaithful. But the Bible nowhere actually says that, that Samuel maybe was at fault. But it does say about Eli that he did not restrain his sons and they became vile. Uh, we, we've not got into several of the stories that you may know from 1 Samuel, but perhaps you remember chapter 3 here, where Samuel is laying down and he hears his name being called, and he continues to awake and go to Eli. Samuel, Samuel, and he goes to Eli. Eli says, I didn't call you. And you may remember in verse number 8 there that the third time Eli tells him, when you hear your name, you answer and say, here I am, for you did call me. And so then the Lord is going to speak, uh, and he says in verse 9, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And then when, Eli, or excuse me, when Samuel does that, then the Lord makes this pronouncement and mentions Eli's problems here, his trouble, because he did not restrain his sons. Go over to 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we think about the failed leadership of Saul. You may recall in verse number, or excuse me, chapter 13 that Saul is a little antsy. He's supposed to be waiting uh, for, for them to come and to then have this, uh, to offer this sacrifice. He's getting a little antsy. He's talking about the fact that the uh, people are getting a little antsy. But the problem, of course, is the fact that Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. He is not a Levite. He's not authorized to offer the sacrifice. But as he's getting antsy, the people are getting antsy. He sees that the enemy is coming. He's going to offer that. And, of course, this is going to be a problem. This is a preemptive. It's a sinful sacrifice that he offers here. And he's going to, of course, be punished for that. And we see a little bit about failed leadership. We certainly see faithful leadership as well. If you're there in 1 Samuel chapter 13 still, you may recall in verse number 14 is where we read one mention of David. doesn't say his name, but God says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. So we read and begin to think about what's going to be the faithful leadership of David. Not perfect. We say that a lot, of course, especially when it comes to our Old Testament people. Not perfect, but faithful leadership of David. One other passage that I would consider, put for your consideration here. Maybe stick your finger there and go to Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse number 1. Samuel is considered one of the great figures of the Old Testament. And one place that we see that is actually in the words of the Lord to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse number 1, the Lord says to Jeremiah, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. There's a pretty strong statement being made there. There's a pretty powerful statement that God would say that the children of Israel have gone so far. They have left me and what I've told them to do. And they have become so bad that even if Moses, and notice he includes in there Samuel. Moses and Samuel were to stand before me. I would not relent. I would not be willing to do that because of their failures. So we notice that Samuel and David offer some faithful leadership. And there is also a theme of failed leadership through this book. As again, we go from judges to the kings. A question here. Who wrote the book of 1 Samuel? Don't forget, it was one book, as we've already talked about just a moment ago. And not only that, you may be tempted to say Samuel. And that's perfectly okay as a, as a guess or an answer. But remember... and. We have not talked about it yet, but in chapter 25, Samuel dies. Maybe not quite in the middle of, of 1 Samuel, but it's certainly together as a whole, Samuel dies. So if it was one book and it was written, then who wrote 1 Samuel? A couple of verses for consideration. First of all, 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse number 25. 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse number 25. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. So we see here that Samuel wrote a book. Okay, fair enough. Look back as well there in chapter 10 in verse number 5. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. So Samuel was as well the head over a group of prophets. It's kind of interesting. We have something somewhat similar today, if you might call it a school of preaching if you will. Here we have a school of prophets, a group of prophets that are going about. So is it possible that they carried on with the writing that Samuel began? Maybe. That's certainly possible. Let me ask you this. It's inspired, right? It's an inspired book of the Bible. Is it possible that God gave Samuel all that he needed to know before he died? guess that's possible. I would think that would be unlikely. I would not offer that up necessarily as the most plausible connection, but I mean it's possible if it is inspired, and it is inspired that God could have had Samuel write it all. One more verse. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse number 29. First Chronicles 29, 29. I don't mean to be Give it to, mean to give a definitive answer. I don't mean to be the one to, to you know, say that we've got it all figured out, but some things for your consideration here and some notes of interest if maybe you've never considered this question. First Chronicles 29, 29. Now, the acts of King David, first and last, 
Indeed, they are written in the book of Samuel, the seer or seer or the prophet, the book of Nathan, the prophet, and in the book of Gad, the seer or the prophet. So is it possible that this was one book with three authors instead of three books? Again, maybe it's a possibility. What we do know and understand is that it is an inspired book of the Bible. God could have done it any way he saw fit, as we said this morning. But of course, as we know that men were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things, then certainly it is inspired of God, even if we may not be able to know for sure whether Samuel did it all, or the group of prophets possibly helped, or even as we see there in 1 Chronicles. A few key verses. If you've got your Bible, you may want to turn and follow along. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 15. If I had to give you on a personal level my favorite story, it is here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. The, the entire chapter pretty much as we think about Samuel being born. And as you turn there, no, it's not because Hannah is mentioned either, all right? But it's always been one of my favorite stories, although it is about Hannah. But it is because of what is found in verse number 15. Do you remember that Hannah is praying? Hannah is praying for this son. She is in sorrowful spirit because she is barren. And in fact, Eli comes by and he thinks she's drunk. He thinks she's drunk because her lips are moving, but he doesn't hear any sound coming out and he thinks she's acting as if she were drunk. But in verse 15, as he questions her, her answer says to me in one of my favorite verses about prayer. No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Uh, it's not a time for a prayer lesson per se, and, and uh, anytime I talk about prayer, this is one place that I like to go. When we pray, do we pour out our soul before the Lord? You can picture her anguish, the, the description of a sorrowful spirit, and if you're like me, maybe prayer is not quite like that sometimes. Maybe it's more the very quick and short. Maybe sometimes it seems to be uh, without any emotion, but pouring out our soul before God. I think there's a very powerful picture there when it comes to what our prayer life should be. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verses 22 through 23 is another key verse here. As Saul has been rejected as king, you may remember that he, they were supposed to completely destroy the Amalekites. And in verse 22, Samuel comes back to Saul and says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying, obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. We're going to make some practical applications here in just a moment, but you begin to see them. Even in just reading it out loud and thinking about what it's saying. Yes, sacrifice is great, and the fat of rams may be required, but obedience, hearing and obeying the word of the Lord. This morning, our lesson was about the simplicity of the gospel. In a sense, we can go all the way back to 1 Samuel and the Old Testament and think about the simplicity of God asking for obedience. Whatever it's been, whether it be sacrifices, whether it be worship, whether it be anything, it is obedience that he requires of his people and his followers. First Samuel chapter 16 there in verse number 7. We're going to come back to this, so we'll just touch on it for a second. But as they are lining them up, 
the sons of Jesse and bringing them by one at a time. What about Saul? We want the big strong guy, the big handsome guy, the best guy that we could imagine that we think would be the best king. And in verse number 7, the Lord says to Samuel, as he is looking to anoint that one, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. A key idea even for us today, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. And then 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You'll know that we're trying to cram a whole book into about 30 minutes or less when we're not even going to hardly touch on David and Goliath that is found here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. But that phrase right there, that verse has always been one to stand out to me. We sing the song, Only a Little Boy David. We may not know exactly his height, although we know that he wasn't the big, strong, tallest guy that you'd pick first for your basketball team. But you can picture this little young man, if you will, standing there. But with all the confidence that he can, just oozing from his words, who does this guy think he is? And who does this army think they are? And what are you guys doing that you would allow this to happen, that this guy can think, even begin to think that he can defy the armies of the living God. And of course, the rest is history. The entire world knows what happens there. But man, it's important to think about the power of God and of those who have the confidence in him and what he can do. Very quickly, a couple of or three practical lessons and the lesson will be yours. Number one, and we already talked about 1 Samuel 1, but God's timing is perfect and we must prayerfully trust and obey. 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 20, there is the story of Hannah and Samuel. Her prayer, her sorrowful prayer, because it's not happening the way she wants it to happen. And God answering that prayer in his time. You remember 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 10, as Peter discusses the idea that we don't know. We don't know the hour, because the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Whether it's the day of the Lord or whether it's that whatever it is that we're praying for or whatever it is that we want to happen, we know that we must trust and obey. And not just trust and obey, but prayerfully trust and obey. Don't I wish I knew when the Lord were going to return? Yeah, in some ways I do. Don't I wish I'd know so that I could warn my family and my friends who aren't faithful so that they know? Yeah, maybe I wish I do. But God's way is holy and just. God's timing is perfect. We talk a lot about providence sometimes. I, I didn't necessarily mean to touch on that, but we've talked about it in our Wednesday night class a little bit. But we talk about providence. The Sunday morning classes talked about it there when think about the book of Exodus. We, we like when providence happens. When things happen to us for a reason and it, and it benefits us and it's good. But sometimes when we're waiting and we're struggling to wait, then God's timing is not so perfect in our mind. But no, God's timing is always perfect and we must prayerfully trust and obey. Number two, we must not be so concerned with being like those around us that we go against the will of God. You recall in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse number 5, 
that as Samuel is old, as he has named his sons their judges over Israel, and in verse number 3, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. We won't get into the politics discussion again tonight either, all right? But there you go back to 1 Samuel and you see it. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways, period. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We must be careful. We must be careful in our lives to not be so concerned with being like those around us, just in general. I mean, we know that from the commercials on television, from, from the dress, from the language, from social media, from anything. We know that we must not be so concerned with what those around us are doing, but certainly not that we would allow it to let us go against God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14 there, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul asked the rhetorical question, if you will, there towards the end. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness. It's tough, because we all want to be accepted. And not only do we all want to be accepted, but we all think that the grass is greener on the other side. It seems like most of the time everybody else has it figured out. And if we would only be like them, then boy, life would be a little bit easier. But no, you look at the New Testament, you look at the Old Testament, you look at your own life sometimes, and that's not the way it goes. We have to remind ourselves, and we even see that here with the children of Israel, as they are looking around them, as they think that everyone else has it great, that maybe everybody else doesn't have it figured out. Maybe the will of God is right. And he doesn't promise us that we'll always be in tip-top shape, that everything will always be perfect. But he does promise that he will look out for us. For us, in particular, he has promised us the home in heaven if we will be faithful unto the end. Then number three, God evaluates the heart. We already read this verse a moment ago about the appearance. And there, as the Lord says to Samuel, uh, those important words in 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You may recall as well in Matthew chapter 25 and verses 31 through 40, this passage we point to often sometimes because of the nature of the people of this world. In Matthew 25, the Son of Man, we read about the Son of Man coming to judge the nations. And as Jesus is talking about this here, this passage is well known to us because we always talk about the sheep and the goats and the right and the left and that kind of thing. And as he says that there in verse number 34, the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he goes on to list the things there. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And they asked the questions, when? When did we do that? When did we see you? And in verse number 40, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. The idea of obedience the idea of not only good works and following after God and being obedient, 
but at the same time having and being sure that our heart is in the right place with the things that we do. Because as you go on and continue through the rest of the chapter there, you see those on the other side. Those who are clamoring, if you will. Those who are yearning and begging. When? When did we see the same type of question? And of course, in verse number 46, or in verse 45, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's a very powerful statement to consider there. Our lives, even though we may be regarded as little, even though we may not have our name in lights on the television channel, in the movies, or things like that, even though we may not be world famous, even though we may be little in the eyes of men and the world, we can be great in the sight of our Creator. We can be great in the sight of the one who matters not only the most, but only. Because he is the one that can and will pronounce judgment. He is the one that has promised us a home in heaven if we will be faithful. We can learn a lot sometimes from these Old Testament books. We can learn a lot about the way that we should be obedient to God. We can learn a lot about the way that God interacts with us. And tonight as we conclude this lesson, we are about to sing this song of invitation that's been selected to encourage you to think about your life. Maybe in light of some of the things we discussed tonight, but maybe it's something else. We do not live under the old law. I've said before, maybe I'm somewhat thankful for that, that we don't have to offer animal sacrifices. We have to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. First and foremost, we have to offer our old man of sin to death, to the burial, the burial of baptism, having our sins washed away. It's then that the Lord will add you to his church and you can begin to live faithfully. But just as the children of Israel wandered away, just as the children of Israel wandered in the desert, just as the children of Israel would turn away from God and turn back to him, we go through the same cycle. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian, but you need to come back to him. You realize that you have left him. You realize that your life is not right. You don't want to be in danger of hearing those words and being pronounced an eternity of eternal punishment. The good news is there's the gospel. The good news is, as we are about to sing this song, you have an opportunity to make a change, even now as we stand together and as we sing.